come back to. This is the message that I had written and had prepared um, for the Sunday that um, was right before my big surprise in a four-week sabbatical. And so I had written it um, last year and had prepared it, and uh, I had called up Jim to cover for me that weekend, and then I had a surprise uh, four-month sabbatical. But um, I really felt like I just could not let this series just, uh, James, James is so good, and, and he speaks so deeply, so we're coming back. So we're going to read from, we're back, we're, I can't believe it, we're still in James chapter 1, and we're going to read uh, verses 16 through 18 this morning. This is what it says. It says, my friends, don't be fooled by our own desires. Every gift God freely gives us is good and perfect, streaming down from the Father of lights, who shines from the heavens with no hidden shadow or darkness and is never subject to change. God was delighted to give us birth by the truth of his infallible word so that we would fulfill his chosen destiny for us and become the favorite ones out of all of his creation. Let's pray. That's good, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus, for your word to us. God, I just, I just pray, Lord, um, help me get it out of the way this morning. And uh, we want your word to speak deeply. Holy Spirit, speak directly to our spirits this morning. We give you permission. In your mighty name, amen and amen. Come on. So we've been in the book of James. Um, and if you've been around for the long haul, we started the first part of this series under the name, This Changes Everything. Remember that? Because James argues that's what should happen when we find faith in Jesus. And um, he's been talking about trials and, and difficult circumstances in life. And he said in verse two, when, when you face trials, not if, but when. He said, everybody is gonna go through difficult moments in life. Yeah, challenges even to our very faith. But he says, you can rejoice in the midst of those trials to the degree that you understand that all of our problems have the potential in them to build us back better. We've been, we've been in this comeback theme, right? To build us into us perseverance, if you were here a couple weeks ago, right? To build into us perseverance. Remember I was talking about that? And so today, James is going to warn us about a reality within the trials that we got to anticipate and respond to accordingly. And uh, we see it in verse 13 again, when he says, when you are tempted, that when we face a difficult moment, a trial, thoughts are going to be solicited to our mind that will present to us options, ways of responding, that if we were in neutral territory, you know, taking a quiz on morality or whatever, you know, we would say that's an inappropriate course of action. You know, that's just not the best choice. It's not good. And yet in the midst of that trial, we might say, you know what? This feels justified. This, that, that feels appropriate. That feels good. And so we need to understand that every trial will bring with it a temptation. If you're taking notes, that's, that's where we're starting. So for example, Let's say, if, you, if you're in the, in the pop culture world, you're, you're at the MTV Music Awards, and you believe that Beyonce should win the award for best music video, and then you have to sit there as they give that award. This actually happened, if you, if you, if you don't know about it, to Taylor Swift. Now, now, that is a trial and a difficult circumstance in life for Kanye, right? And in the middle of that, a thought may be solicited in your mind, you should walk up on the stage, grab the mic from that teenage girl and chastise this crowd for their poor decision-making. And, and in that moment, that decision will feel appropriate and even good. Or let's say, how about this? 
Let's say you're a pro athlete. Uh, you're a cyclist racing in the Tour de France and uh, you want to win and you're getting older and so that's a trial. And in that moment, uh, a thought may be solicited in your mind, I should take performance enhancing drugs, right? Now, if, if someone asked you in a quiz, is that right? You'd say no. But in the moment, it suddenly feels justified, appropriate even, and even right. And, and so, let's, another scenario. Let's, let's say that you've got a high-powered job. You're working in Congress. You're in the business world. You got a high, a high-powered job brings with it a lot of times a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. And in the middle of that, you're looking for a release valve from all that pressure and all that stress. And, and the thought may be solicited in your mind, you should find relief in the arms of that 20-year-old girl in your office. That's not your wife. And at that moment, even though you know that's wrong, in the middle of the trial and the stress, that temptation will feel so right. So these are all hypothetical situations, but let's talk about your own life. Let's say you have a coworker who's really getting on your nerves. I mean, uh, they're, they're, they're annoying you to the middle, you know, in the, in the middle of a, of a trial that you're in and thoughts will be solicited to your mind and options of how to respond, right? And some of you might feel a gravitation towards the aggressive response. I want to punch them. I want to cuss them out. Others of you go, you know, I would never do that. You'd opt for the more passive aggressive option where you just kind of roll your eyes whenever they talk or you'd say, didn't I, you know, hear Hitler say that in a speech once or something? And, you know, things like that. Or maybe you just go full passive where you just, you're really nice to them to their face and then as soon as they leave the room, you just throw them under the bus to everybody else. Maybe school is stressful for you. Finances are stressful for you. Home pressures are difficult. Your marriage is struggling. In the middle of all that pressure, maybe the thought elicited to your mind to find solace in a bottle, right? Whether a beverage or pills. I know this doesn't solve my problems, but they make them go away. So I'll do that. Or maybe the ache of loneliness is just too much. And so you go, you know what? I can't find the love of my life, but maybe I'll just use your body tonight, whether it be on a screen or in the flesh. The reality is that everyone's going to face trials. Every single one of us, nobody gets away from that. And every single one of us, when we face trials along with it, many times will come a temptation, thoughts that in a neutral ground, we'd say this isn't the best way to act. But at that moment, even though we know the path is destructive, it suddenly seems desirable and so we have to know that that's coming for us. So on your notes, if you're taking notes, difficult circumstances can drive us to make destructive decisions. And we need to know that. We need to be aware that that's coming. And we don't just need to be aware that it's coming. We, we have to ask the question, where is this coming from? How does this work on us? And then how do we respond? So that's where we're going this morning. So if we know that that's coming, if we know that every trial carries a temptation, where's this coming from? How does it work on us? And then how do we respond? Okay, so let me say this. None of this is where I'm trying to guilt trip anybody in this room. We all fall to this challenge. And so I don't wanna heap shame on anybody. If anything, I want to almost um, in an unemotional way just kind of evaluate what's happening in these kinds of situations, not to beat us up, but to give us a path to victory so that we can win. Um, paint it this way. General Patton, World War II. A lot of people were nervous as he faced off against the German general because the other guy had literally written the book 
on tank warfare. And yet as Patton won out against this more distinguished general, I mean, he completely routed um, you know, his army. And I remember when they did the movie, as, as, they, as they see the Nazi forces decimated and Patton standing on a mountaintop in triumph, what's the scene? In this moment of glory, he kind of raised up a hand and he says, Rommel, the other general, I read your book. And, and that's what I want to do this morning. If we know the temptation is coming, let's read its book and let's see how it works on us so we can route a different way. Does that make sense? All right, so let's do that. And so the, this, this first thing James says is verse 13, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why not say that, James? Well, he says, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. It's inconsistent with God's nature, so he won't do it to you. You know, sin is an impulse to take a conscious step away from the will of God and God is not interested in stepping away from the will of God. And so that's not an impulse that tempts him. And, and so it's not an impulse with which he will tempt you. So be careful because you'll hear some people say, well, I don't know why God is giving me this desire if he doesn't want me to act on it. You ever hear, you ever hear that argument? Maybe it's an internal argument sometimes. Don't suddenly slap the deity on every one of your desires, <laughs> right? All that we feel isn't necessarily good. And we need to be able to evaluate that. Um, so if it doesn't come from God, where does it come from? Well, let me ask you this first. So God won't tempt you, but will God test you? Will he allow you to be in a difficult circumstance? The answer is, as we, I, I know I'm kind of going into theological territory, but as we look through the scriptures, the answer is yes. We see it in Deuteronomy. It says, the Lord led you into that wilderness for 40 years to test you. You, you might be in a difficult pressure-filled environment to see what's in your heart. In Judges, God said, I will not drive out these four nations from among you in order to test you. He basically said, I'm going to give you really annoying neighbors <laughs> and, and I'm going to see what comes out of your heart. That's right. He told Hezekiah, hey, I'm going to send envoys from Babylon and I'm, I'm going to back off and let you make your own decisions. Will you interact with integrity or out of insecurity? Will you try to show off that you're big time and therefore subvert your entire nation? I'm just going to let you roll, Hezekiah, to see what's in your heart. So will God test you? He will put you, he will put the tree of knowledge in the, of good and evil right in your front yard. But what he won't do is come around and say, hey man, you should eat some of the fruit. I, I know I said it was evil, but it looks so good. No, he's, he's not going to do that. That's not how it works. That doesn't even make sense. But think about it this way. God will allow a difficult circumstance just like a good parent or a good coach, right? He puts you in difficulty to develop you, not to destroy you. Somebody needs to read that, write that down. <laughs> that there are tests in life to build our faith, to build our faith, not destroy our faith. He's, he's a good dad. And he's a good coach in that sense. And yet when that trial comes, the temptation will come with it. And so where does that come from? It's not God. And uh, then James won't blame, the, he doesn't blame the devil either. He says in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his, whose desire? By his own desire. Where does that temptation come from? James will say it comes from you. Now, does James believe in the devil? 
yeah, he's going to name drop him later. <laughs> and yet in this moment, he doesn't want to point out an external tempter. He wants to point to an internal traitor. That inside each one of us is a little voice that loves that which is destructive to us. <laughs> We've all got a little traitor in us, a little deposed dictator. <laughs> and, and you don't have to obey him, but he's making crazy demands. And you've got to know that he's in there and you've got to know how to respond. So James wants you to know temptation is not an attack from without. It arises from within. That's where it comes from. Taylor Swift winning that award does not necessitate you're getting on the stage. <laughs> that decision came from inside of you. Your girlfriend breaking up with you does not necessitate that you get hammered drunk. That would be your choice. Right? That trial is coming for you, ready for not, but that temptation rises out of you. It's not an attack from without, but it arises from within you our own dysfunctional thoughts, bolstered by our broken emotions sometimes that comes along with those situations. But now how does it work? James says, each one is lured and enticed by his own desire. Lured, this is, write this down, lured is about the mind's attention and enticed is about stirring the heart's affections. And then, so when you enact the will, you sin, you take a conscious step away from the expressed will of God but that luring of the mind's attention and the stirring of the heart uh, affection, that's what James calls temptation. So how does it work? He uses the word lure. It's like fishing, which I know little about. I'm learning because uh, my uh, Darian is all about it right now, but I understand the concept of a lure. You know, you know what do you do when you put a lure in front of a fish? You, you put it in the water, right? And you want it to swim past the fish right? You, maybe you do it from an angle so it looks wounded and delicious. I don't know. But, but what's your goal? You, you want to get that fish's attention, right? Hey there, little buddy. <laughs> but you don't just want to get his attention. You also want to stir his affections, right? Like, look at you. Okay. You know, <laughs> right? You, what's the end goal? You want to enact its will. And when it does, it never sees the hook coming, does it? Do you see it? I get your mind's attention. I stir your heart's affections. And when you take that step, I gotcha. But James says, each one is lured and enticed by his own desire. The whole process is tailor-made for you. So some might see a frog in a lure and go, really gross, you're into that? <laughs> That turns you on. That's disgusting. Uh, like, I don't know how can, you can even call yourself a real fish uh, if you're into that. And temptation says, okay, no problem. I've got a different lure for you. And we'll just put something else out there, new and shiny, right? And, and off you go. And each one is tempted by his own desire. No one, nobody in here is perfect. Everybody's got those little broken thoughts inside of us. And there's, there's, there's something you know, wrong with us, uh, present company included, and we need to know that. And, and so some of the best self-knowledge we can have is then how does it get to us? Because it's going to work in us differently. We all struggle in a variety of ways. What's the thing that gets at me? What's, what's the thing that I know is destructive, but again and again, I come back to it um, when I'm lonely, maybe, when I'm tired, uh, when I feel entitled, maybe, when I'm hungry, when I'm sad. 
What's the broken well that I got to drink from, even though I know I'll be thirsty the next morning? What is it? Because you need to know. You've probably heard this before, but it's, it's good. This is, you, we want to know this. What you think about is what you care about. And what you care about, you will chase. So what do you entertain in your mind? Because what you ponder in your mind will be what you love and what you love you will pursue. And, and that will determine what you become. So I want you to think about what you think about. That's, I'm pretty sure that's something Pastor Brent used to say. I want you to think about what you think about. Many of us just kind of wake up and go through our day and thoughts come and we just accept them or operate out of them when we don't analyze, is that true? Is that right? Is that good? Where is it leading me? Do I accept or do I reject this way of thinking? I want you to think about what you think about. And then don't believe everything that you think. (laughs) Not every thought is valid. We need to take our thoughts and test them. Paul told Timothy to, to watch your life and your doctrine closely. Remember that? He said, you know, watch what you believe, Timothy, and then watch yourself persevere in this because in doing so, you're going to save yourself for your sake, Timothy, and for everybody who looks to you for guidance, watch your life, know what you believe, know what you're tempted by, and Timothy, be wise in what you get led away by because what you think about will determine what you care about and what you care about will determine the chase. And so all of us struggle, every every single one of us, and the question becomes, so what do I do? And James will give us some things to do because that's how he is. He gets up in our face, right? If you know this pull is coming, this addiction, this repeated pattern that is keeping me stuck in life and keeping me, you know, like in arrested development and and not moving forward. If I keep repeating the same pattern, how do I get off of this ride? And how do I get out of this stream? And how do I quit flowing to that destination? And what he'll say, the first thing is to look downstream and see the conclusion. He says the trick with temptation is it wants to get close to your face, like that lure, so that you believe it's the only option. There's no other way to respond. The only way to respond to that pain is to drink that, to do this, to believe that, to go do that and feel sorry for myself. I'm gonna keep going back to that same pattern. Temptation wants to keep putting itself in front of your face. I'm the only option. And you have to develop the discipline to push it down and look past and say, if I engage in this, where is it going to lead me? If I jump in this boat, where is this stream going? And is that a place that I want to be? In Alcoholics Anonymous, they say, you need to think about the drink. That on a hard day, a loneliness and an emotional ache will lead you to go, you know what? I can find solace in this drink. And they say, okay, when you experience that temptation, think about it. If you start drinking, where will you go next? What's next? Where is it gonna lead you? Think about your dad, think about your mom, think about your family members who followed that same path. Think about your friends, think about your past life. Is that where you want to be? If you don't want to be there, then don't take that drink. Step out of this temptation. So you've got to look downstream and see where is this path going and is that a place that I want to be? Now, it's interesting, James, by saying that, really, honestly, he doesn't use path imagery. And frankly, he doesn't use fishing imagery either. 
he actually uses sexual imagery, imagery here. Because in the Greek, the language that he wrote this in, there are masculine and feminine words, just like Spanish. You're familiar with that, right? In, in, in Spanish, like la mesa is a table and it's feminine. Um, in this passage, the word desire is feminine. Now, that doesn't mean that all bad desires come from women or anything close to that. Don't go there. Um, I'm just saying, let's go with James imagery here. And what he says is you will be lured and enticed by your own desire, right? And he gives you this picture similar to what you see in the wisdom literature, right? In Proverbs chapter seven, the adulterous woman will wear these alluring clothes and she'll speak in, in provocative statements. My husband's gone on a long journey. You won't get caught. My bed is amazing. I smell good. Let's do this. And Proverbs 7 says, you don't even know that you are an ox being led to the slaughter. But you need to look and say, where is this leading me? And then he says, desire, she will lure and she will entice. But then James says, desire, when she's conceived, gives birth to what? Sin. Every single one of us is going to hear the voice of temptation. You can't help it. But you can decide, do I want to jump in bed with that desire? Because if we unite, if, if I bring my will in unity with her, she gets pregnant and, and she has a baby called sin. And, and some of us hear that and go, yeah, Sean, but I don't care if I say that. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. Well, here's what's interesting. Sin is a feminine word too. And sin has a baby. Let's read it. James says, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. James says that's, that's where this is going. And then he, he just does this something so weird. He uses this pregnancy imagery of bringing forth, but then he says, brings forth death. I mean, it's like startling because there's, ne there's never for many people a more enjoyable moment than the, the moment of the birth of their child, right? Why? Because it's the arrival of life. It's, it's this, this something that God knit together and that happens with a person that you love and, and the two of you create this living thing and, and that's so amazing. You hold up that baby and even if it's ugly, you'd be like, look at my baby. Because it's one of the most exciting days of your life. You knit together with someone else and you brought forth life, a living person. And James takes that imagery from that room in that day. And he says, when you unite with a desire, you bring forth death, the opposite of life. You bring something horrible into the world. Why does he do that? He does it to shock, right? He does it to startle. He does it to try and break the spell because temptation, he says, is luring in the moment of the trial, but she looks way less sexy in the light of the day. And he says, you need to see this moment clearly. Look downstream and say, well, it looks good here, but where is it gonna lead me? And is that where I wanna go? Look downstream to the conclusion. I think, you know, most of you know that I was kind of poking fun at Kanye earlier in the whole Taylor Swift thing, but it, I mean, it's just this bizarre thing that happened, this pop culture moment. But one of the things I love is when Kanye came back and apologized publicly to her and he said, when I made that decision, I brought forth pain in this world. And I don't want to do that. And I just thought, what a, what a mature way to respond. Right? He, he said, my decision to unite with desire brought forth pain. And I don't want to be the kind of person who does that. And so it's important to be able to, to do that and to look downstream. So what does this action produce? What does it create? 
I, I heard about a pastor, I mentioned him before, and in his prayer closet all along the wall, when he exits, are newspaper clippings of men who through infidelity to their wives, pastors, they've lost their marriages and lost their ministries. Um, it's the most <laughs> depressing collage ever. Um, and you go, why does he do that? That seems grim. Well, he does it because he knows that when he rises up out of his prayer closet and he goes out to minister, he'll often meet with people who are really hurting emotionally. And um, they'll come to him in and, and, and an emotional, vulnerable place. And as he provides love and care and concern and truth, there's a potential to create a bond there that if he's not careful, can turn sinister and begin to violate marriage vows. And so he says, I know that happens. I've, I've seen that happen to others. I don't want to do that because I love my wife and I love my kids and I don't want to damage a vulnerable person either. I don't want to be anywhere near that situation, but I've seen it happen enough that I need to be wise that that can happen in life. And so I have these pictures up to remind me. And I remember as the pastor is telling this story, he has this picture of a famous pastor. We would all know him as the paparazzi is surrounding his car. And as he was still lying about what he had done at this point, the, the past, this pastor, the guy at this prayer closet, he had circled the guy's wife's face and written next to it, look at her eyes. Look at her eyes. Because she had a dead look on her face and she couldn't fake it anymore. And this pastor kept that in front of him because sin, again, looks a lot less sexy in the cold light of day. And if that pastor had seen the picture of himself and his wife back when the temptation had happened, he might've made a different choice, right? And so James says, before you take part in this act, whatever you're gonna do, look downstream and see where it leads. But he doesn't just end there. He says, now, after you've looked down, you need to look upstream. That you look downstream to see the conclusion, then you look upstream to see the source. Where is this coming from? Uh, because for many of us, we know what our temptations are and we know that it's not good. And so, you know, I, I know that I don't want to keep on making this decision. I know that I don't want to go back to this relationship. I know that I, I don't want to keep interacting with the screen that way. I know that I don't want to keep interacting with pills and, and substances this way. I know that I don't want to keep making these decisions. But for some reason, the right experiences of chaos in my life make that alluring. And then I stay in that cycle. Why do I do that? What's the emotional energy that keeps driving me this direction? And so James says, you got to go upstream and say, what's providing the power to those rapids and how is this, how is this working? So James will say, it's a deception issue. In verse 14, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. He says, the end of temptation is destruction. The beginning is deception. He says, something's breaking in our thought process that is leading us to think that something destructive is life enhancing. And he, doesn't, he does something really interesting. He doesn't point downstream. He, he doesn't say the problem is, you know, you think this really unhealthy food is actually nutritious, you need to read a book. He doesn't say that. He doesn't do that or, or you think that, you know, dating three people at once is a good strategy when actually it's not. You know, he doesn't point downstream. He says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He says, the lie that launches a million sins is that God is not a good father who cares about you. That's where it is. He says, he says the problem with a lot of our activity begins in our theology. I don't think God's gonna take care of me. And if I don't think God's gonna take care of me, then I'd better take care of me, right? We start calling the shots and, and we've wandered down many broken roads 
looking for the satisfaction that only he can give. But where did James get this idea? Deception leading to destruction. Well, think about Genesis 3. This, this is what happened with Eve, right? What happened with Eve when the devil came to tempt her? Notice he didn't start with the activity. He didn't come out and say, you know what I've been thinking about lately? Fruit. I've got some fruit here. I've got it paired with some nice cheese. He didn't do that. What does he do? He says, did God really say? He says, let's talk theology. Let's go to church. Let's, let's talk about God. Did God really say that you can't eat from every tree in the garden? And he does something interesting there. 12 times before this, God had been called the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. That, that word Lord is a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. And what Yahweh means the, the covenantal God, the, you know, the, the God who is close to you is your own breath. That he wants to bind himself to you in love. Satan drops that name. Why? Because it's much easier to transgress a distant deity than to hurt a living God. And so he distances her relationally from God just a little bit. And then he starts to question God's character. Hey, Eve, um, just an observation. It, it, it looks like you don't get to do everything that you want. Looks like your allegiance to God is costing you, Eve. I'm, I'm just looking around here and noticing that because of your allegiance to him, you can't do certain things. There's something in your life that would be life enhancing, Eve, but he's not letting you do it. There's something that could add value to your life that God's keeping you from. It, it even seems to me that your religious adherence is keeping you from really enjoying life. Do you see it? It seems to me, Eve, that if you really want to experience life, you need to walk away from the author of life. Well, well why? Because he's not good. He, he really doesn't care about you. He's going to cheat and rob you of key experiences. And so if you really want to have a full life, you've got to get out of here, Eve. And that lie has been tricking us ever since. Man, if I trust God in the way that he talks about sexuality, he's going to cheat me. He's going to keep me from the experiences that I want. I, I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss out on being able to experience all that I want to experience. So the only way to really live is to walk away from him or financially. I don't want to trust his way. If I trust him, he's going to rob me. He's gonna keep me back from my dreams. He's gonna hold me back from what I wanna accomplish. He's gonna leave me poor and destitute and out in the streets. And I'm not gonna do that, so I'm gonna go for mine. Or, hey, do you know what? If I follow him, I'm not gonna be able to, to use my gifts. I'll never uh, be all that I'm meant to be. And so in order to really live life, thank you, God, I'm, I'm gonna give you, uh, you know, some time over here and I'll put you in this box. I pray every now and again, I show up at church every now and again, I attend Sunday services, but I'm going for mine. And in pursuit of life, we walk away from the author of life. Why? Because we believe the lie that he's not a good dad. And he doesn't care about us, so I gotta do it on my own. It's fascinating, Patrick Carnes is one of the leading voices on addiction. And he talks about why do people um, do things that they know are destructive for them? Do you know what he said? He says, the root of addiction is feeling unloved and unlovable. That addiction is an intimacy disorder. If I don't think anybody loves me, if I don't think anybody cares, if I'm not enough, if I don't measure up, if I, if I feel like I can't measure up and get enough success or get enough approval, I'll just sink down into something that makes me feel good. And so I'll chase, 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 and I'll violate a lot of people and things to get approval. Or I'll sit down and I'll just settle in the addiction if that's what I need. And yet, 
The root of all evil is feeling unloved. And that's why James says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. You want good things and he wants them for you. You want perfect things and he wants them for you and your God is good. And he's not gonna promise you something and not deliver. And so he's not gonna offer you life and then hold it back from you. There's no shadow or variation with him, right? He delights to give to you. Your father cares about you. Even if your earthly one never did, your heavenly father does. And when you understand the love of God, it makes this other stuff a lot less alluring. And so what do we do? We don't try to fight the deception. That's what so many people will try to do. I gotta knuckle down and, and, and I gotta knuckle down on my discipline, right? Stop thinking about that. I gotta stop going there. I gotta stop texting him. Stop looking at that. I gotta go to bed earlier. And some of that's good stuff, right? Hit some barriers up. But what do we need to do then? We hold back for a while and then we get into that cycle and then we beat ourselves up and we go through it all again. What does James say here? He says, don't get in that stream and keep trying to paddle up. He says, switch streams. You're in the desire stream of taking legitimate desires to an illegitimate place. And he says, you need to switch streams. Stop looking to broken things to satisfy you. You need to go to your father who is a superior pleasure because he gives good gifts and he gives perfect gifts when you ride with him, you need to switch streams. So the, the Puritans used to say it this way. I've, I've said it a lot. How do you dislodge a beautiful thing from the human heart? You replace it with a more beautiful thing. How did, how did Romeo get rid of Rosalind? Does anybody remember Rosalind? <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare. What, what happened at the beginning? Romeo is just pining away about Rosalind. Oh, I love Rosalind so much. And then finally, you know, his buddy Benvolio, I think is how you say it, is annoyed. And he was like, hey man, I'm taking you to a party tonight. And there's like a hundred girls there hotter. That's a rough translation. That's the message translation. Um, but, um, but read it, it's there. Um, what happens? Romeo says, this is what he says. The, the all-seeing sun has ne'er met her match since the first, first the world began. There is no one hotter than Rosalind, is basically what he says. Then he goes to the party and he sees Juliet. And that night he sneaks into Juliet's yard and he says, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east and Juliet is the sun. <laughs> Arise, fair sun, and kiss the envious moon who is already sick and pale with grief that though her maid art far more fairer than she. It's like, Rosalind who? <laughs> And for many of us, there are appropriate boundaries to put in your life. And there are other texts that speak to that. But for many of us, we need to switch streams and say, I've been looking for heart level satisfaction in broken places. And I need to get into a different stream. I need to replace a Rosalind for Juliet. I need to dislodge this thing that's attractive to me by replacing it with a more beautiful thing. I need to fix my eyes on the father of lights who gives every good gift. And he repeats the word gift, every good gift and every perfect gift. Why? He's trying to drill it in, right? It, it comes down from your father in whom there is no shadow or variation. He's like the sun shining in the sky, except he never disappears over the horizon. And he's never covered by a cloud. He's there for you. He is consistent with you and he loves you. Exhibit A of his love for you, James says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He uses pregnancy imagery again. Everybody's having a baby. 
in James. James chapter one, desires having a baby, sins having a baby, God's having a baby. It says God of his own will because he wanted to, not because he had to, not because of his obligations, but because he wanted to, he brought you forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. How do we know that God loves you? Look back, look forward, see what he's done. It's interesting, Philip Zimbardo is a psychologist who did the Stanford experiment and he gave a talk about resisting temptation. He says, the key to it is a past positive view and a future positive view that I see good in my past, even though there may be a lot of wreckage in it. And I see God in my future, even though there may be challenges ahead. He's basically summarizing James, except James then looks up and said, look what your God did of his own will. He brought you forth by the word of truth. Think about the day that he brought you to life through his word. When you understand that, I have the pleasure of God spoken over my life that will give you what you need to resist the pressures of this world. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he stepped down into the water to be baptized. And what happened? We know this story. Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove and then a voice spoke from heaven. This is my son who I am well pleased. And did you notice? This is the beginning of his ministry. So why is he pleased? Jesus hadn't done anything. He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't forgiven anybody. He hadn't walked on water yet. So what is God pleased with? He's pleased with his kid because he's my kid. He's my son. And I get that. I get, I get that when we had our kids. And I, I remember when our you know, little Bella was born. And I remember when that beautiful little round girl arrived with this crazy smile of hers. And I just loved her right away. And she hadn't done anything. Actually, she'd been kind of a hassle from the jump, but <laughs> certainly wasn't contributing or pulling her weight in any way, but I delighted in her, right? Why? Because she's mine. And God looks at Jesus and says, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then what happens next? He's led out into the desert and the devil tries to tempt him. And how does he start? If you really are the son of God, he, he never starts with the activity. He assaults the identity. Do you think God really cares about you? If God really cares about you, why are you out here starving to death? If God really cared about you, how come he hasn't exalted you yet? How come you're out here in the desert? If God really cares about you, how come you don't have power? How come you're out here in obscurity? And, and the devil kept trying to get at him, but it doesn't work. Why? Jesus is fighting off um, in Deuteronomy quotes left and right. Why? Because he knows I have the pleasure of my dad. And so the allure of sin just isn't getting to me. You, you fight with the superior firepower of knowing that your God loves you. He loves you. He delights in you. And the more you rest in that, then when you struggle and you know you're in a mess, you don't lose hope. And rather than run from him until you've earned his approval, you bask in his love. You just lean a little bit closer into his love. The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's, that's what the early church figured out, that when they were water baptized, they would walk up to that water and before they stepped in, they would turn around and say, I renounce you, Satan, and all of your pomp, right? Reenacting Jesus in the desert. And they would turn around and they would walk into the water and they, they pictured it like Jesus did. I'm standing here with the son of God who loves me and Holy Spirit is dwelling with me forever. And my father in heaven is speaking over me. That's my girl. That's my boy in whom I am well pleased. And I'm united in community with the Trinity. 
And then you would step out and you weren't just united with the Trinity, you were united in community. The whole church was standing on the other side and they were applauding. And when you got out there, they would clothe you in a new and a bright robe. And then you would go nuts celebrating that you were lost, but now you're found. That you were dead, but you were alive. You went from darkness into his marvelous light and they threw a party because that that empathy dissolves the shame. That community gives you the power to walk out of all of those lesser depravities. And you see that I meant to walk together with my spiritual family. James says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So let me encourage some of you. Jesus brought forth us. When you come to him, we're born individually at birth but we're born into a family at spiritual birth. And one of the greatest gifts that he's given us is us. (laughs) So get in a group, get in a a circle, get in a connect group. We didn't just come up with those because the church needed something to put on the website. (laughs) We know that, that one of God's greatest gifts for us is us. And James will say later, confess your sins to what? One to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Right? That doesn't mean, um, you know, this week when you go to a group, you have to, you have to, you're going to have to confess all your sins. That's not how community works. But rather than dealing with the loneliness by shrinking into ourselves, becoming a self-evaluated victim, we can step into a community and say, you know what, I'm going to put myself out there and I'm, I'm going to make some friends and, and I'm going to love some people and I'm going to serve in the city with some people and I'm going to live out of integrity who I say I want to be and who I want to be when I die and I'm going to do that with these people. That's what a group does for us. So show up there, show up in a circle. And then even deeper than that, I would encourage you to have two or three people that you choose and that you get with those people and that you share everything. I, I have those men in my life. They're my, they're my fight club and all the lights are on, right? Nothing's, nothing's left in the dark with them. They know everything about me. And guess what? They still love me. And, uh, but they're not impressed with me. <laughs> get face to face because it's not the same over text right? Get face to face. You, you can't be as vague. So when you're in the room, they can read you better and start to push on you and say, Hey, that's a lie. Don't believe that. That was a bad decision. Don't, don't dwell on that. But that way of thinking is going to lead you to some activity that's not, not life giving for you. And they, then they'll say crazy things like, Hey man, I love you. And God loves you. And, and you're forgiven. And you need to walk out of this room and go as a sent one, that, a son, a loved son of the father. And if you don't have someone speaking those words over, you need it. We're all meant to journey together. Worship team, you can come on up. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And then if you haven't yet, I wanna encourage you to put your faith in Jesus. Come on. That's the greatest exhibit of God's love of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth. And when the truth is spoken, the son of God loves you, came for you, lived for you, died for you, rose for you. And thus you are brought from death to life. What a a completion of the picture. And the more I focus on the relentless love of God for me, the easier it becomes for me to walk away from this fleeing promise of sin. So there's no promise to, 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 to make to God this morning. There's just the reception of his promises of love to you. So we sing a song, last thing, and we're, we're done. Close. We sing a song sometimes about the reckless love of God. And, um, it's been somewhat of a controversial song because you know, there's, there's a way to define that word reckless, which means without thought, right? To its implications or, or the repercussions of it. And uh, that's not true of God. You know, God, 
thought a lot about what he was gonna do when he sent Jesus into darkness. And so if you thought reckless love meant that he thought nothing about the implications, that's, that's bad theology. You've been singing it as a heretic and you need to get together. <laughs> but if you think of recklessness, like there is nothing that he wouldn't do. Amen. And he wouldn't wreck to get to you. There's that out of his own desire, he brought you forth. And, and he knew I'm going to get my kid and I will go through everything to bring it home. Amen. If you think of him like Liam Neeson in Taken, <laughs> then you sing that song because it's true. There is no shadow that Liam wouldn't light up, right? To save his stolen daughter, right? That, you know, with explosions and lots of fire guns, there's no chain that he wouldn't break through with the stolen car to break through those gates to get to his kid to bring her home. That was the movie taken, but my father, my God, will break through anything to come and get me because he loves me. And that's what your God is like too. There's no shadow that he won't light up. There's no mountain he won't climb up. He's coming after you. And when you know you're loved like that, when you embrace that kind of love, I am a beloved child of God. It becomes easier to let his voice amplify and let that voice of sweet escape that we hear diminish. And as you walk with us in him, you begin to see I'm living out of integrity. And I love this. My deep desires are met in a deep well that never runs dry. And deep calls to deep. And I am more alive than ever. And I have watched people change who... I, I didn't think it was possible, but because of the magnificent, inexhaustible love of God, there is nobody too far, right? Amen. And when you come to know and dwell in that and, and read about and soak in that love and you watch what God can do with a human life that will walk humbly with their loving dad and he will lead you places that you don't think are possible. And it isn't in your own power, but it's enough. Amen, he is more than enough. Yeah. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Whoo, man, you're such a good father. We thank you for your love. God even displayed in the picture that you gave us today that the mountains will tremble. God, you'll calm the storm. God, you'll send rescue. How do we wanna jump in your stream this morning? Your sons and daughters, we're gonna jump streams and we're gonna to go to the source that is good. If we've been sitting in other sources, God, we're getting out of that river today and we're jumping on your boat. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you that you're the source that never runs dry. If you're here this morning and you're in a place where Jesus You've heard about him, but you maybe haven't heard about him this way, that he is a, he's a rescue. He's the one that uh, comes to give you a different stream and a, and a different way to live and doesn't take you out of the storm. And, you know, that's, that's not the message, but he will be there with you in the storm. He'll be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that kind of strength is one that I'm willing <laughs> to say this morning, uh, you just, you, you need, you want. And so if Holy Spirit's stirring in you, you know that already. 
and you need to say yes to Jesus this morning, whether it's a re-surrender like Pastor Donnie was talking about earlier or just saying yes to Jesus for the first time, let's pray. And all of us together. Jesus, Jesus, in your name, in your name, I want to give you my life. I want to give you my life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for all that you accomplished. Thank you for all that you accomplished. Thank you for your life laid down. Thank you for your life laid down. For me. For me. Thank you for being a source. Thank you for being a source. That is good. That is good. That is pure. That is pure. That gives me life. That gives me life. I'm going to jump in that river. I'm going to jump in that river. My life is yours. My life is yours. In your mighty name. In your mighty name. Amen.